This is part 11 of Battle Lines, Creation of the Free Rebellions, and this one's entitled King of Kings. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The wonder of the Incarnation just never ceases to take my breath. The Son of God emptied Himself and came in the form of a man. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It is so wildly unimaginable So last we met, we talked about God creating sentient beings in His image. And a hallmark of God's character is His autonomy. He has a will. And He exercises His will. And so when He created spirit beings, He gave them a will. And when He created human beings, He gave us a will. And that true freedom imparted choice. If there was so some decided to not subject their will to Almighty God. In contrast, the second person of the Trinity did. And to fix all that was broken, and the primary broken pieces are in Genesis as we've been studying. That rebellion in the garden with the serpent and man. The rebellion of the sons of God and the daughters of men and the the Nephilim giant spirits. The rebellion in Babel when God disinherited the nations. All these broken pieces on earth, all these things that make earth the antithesis of Eden. The antithesis of God's kingdom on earth. The Son of God came to fix, but He didn't show up riding out of the cloud on a horse. And He didn't show up to ultimately fix it just in a theophany. He'd done that. He, sh- he showed up in Genesis 18 and sat down and had a meal with Abram. He showed up in Genesis 22 and stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. He showed up right before Joshua goes to attack Jericho. And Joshua says, "Mm, uh, who are you with? (laughs) You don't get it. I'm the commander of the Lord's hosts. That's who I am. Mind kicking off those sandals? You happen to be on holy ground there. And when it came time to rectify death, defilement, and despots, He shows up as a baby. Now consider the animal kingdom. Don't let natural sciences throw you when they they throw human beings in the animal kingdom. A lot of the animal design we have. Every time I climb a tree, I think, that's primate. Anyhow, um, (laughs) quit mocking around. 
Right. You think about that, though. Think about all these other... Ever watched, you know, this, ever watched the kittens being born or ever seen videos of a horse being born? I mean, how long after a, 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 a colt is born before they walk? Just a few minutes. A few seconds. A few minutes. They're walking around. How about a human? <laughs> you, you think about the weakness and the helplessness of the human race in comparison to the natural kingdom. We can open our eyes. can open our eyes. <laughs> yeah, you know, look around. But, you know, I mean, at the complete and total mercy of parental care. And even at that, how long before there's any viable self-defense mechanism in a human being? It's outrageous. That God created us in a way that we entered the world that our primary life for years was dependent upon parental care for survival. And that's how He chose to enter His creation and fix it. As a child. As a child in a subjugated culture and not in secret, his birth pointed out by kingmakers and announced to a despotic ruler who was so paranoid he made a habit of killing his own family and went in to destroy a whole demographic just in case the king of the Jews had been born. I read this morning Elijah's uh, story again that in his confrontation with the with the prophets of Baal, you know, but how he doubles down. In the drought, he gets water <laughs> and says, douse the sacrifice, douse the sacrifice, calls fire out of the sky, you know, asks God, answer by fire. God answers by fire and licks up the entire sacrifice. And he's like, yay, we won. Now all these crazy dudes right here, let's get them up together. I got a sword I got to try out. You know? And that's... That was one bloody mess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you really think about but, it. Yeah, that was like up close and personal, not, right? Not, 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 not a nice clean Bible story. No, 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 no. There was a slaughter involved. But as neat as that narrative is of, of a man of God so confident in the voice of the Lord that, that he doubles down on the impossibility and has them soak the sacrifice with water is nothing compared to Almighty God's plan to prove His wisdom to the principalities and powers of the world. Oh, you were perfect in beauty and the height of wisdom. I got something for you. Baby's coming. And he doesn't wait until, you know, and you see it now, they're all sitting there in Judea, and, and it's like they're, they're ripping the calendar off, you know. It's, it's like B.C. 2, November, and it's done. B.C. 2, December, and it's done. B.C. 1, 
hey, Messiah's coming soon. And they get to BC, BC 1, December, and then, oh, it's 81. No, they didn't have any concept of that. <laughs> they had no concept of this, of this dynamic change of season. God didn't wait till AD 1, the rip of the calendar, to say, I'm coming. No. Right out of the garden, right talking to the serpent. I'm going to put you on notice right now. Her seed, your seed, are at war. And her seed is going to crush your head. Game on. And he comes into this world in the weakest possible way and submits himself to the death of the cross. Therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I win. <laughs> Fear not. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. This, this is the ark of the narrative, the story of the book we call the Bible. It doesn't start in Matthew. It starts in Genesis and arcs all the way through Revelation. So, we've looked at Jesus conquering death. And we've looked at His sending the Holy Spirit to reside in us, to direct us away from the degradation and decay that demonic spirits cause in civilizations and mankind. And now we look at His answer to the final rebellion. So let's review, once again, all this information. Let's start looking at it one more time about this rebellion in Babel and Babel and the nations. In Genesis 11, verses 7 through 9. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over all the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. In the process of the inspiration of Scripture, God chose Babel and Babylon as one of the preeminent symbols of anti-Eden, of chaos. Chaos is all that which is against the order of God's kingdom, God's establishment. God's will. And God's ultimate will was exhibited in the establishment of paradise. 
His intention for His imagers to have perfect order, freedom in abundance, and fellowship with Him available. Babel, Babylon, becomes the symbol of all that which is against. Okay? And it enters the narrative as we received it right here in Genesis 11. Come, let us go down. The Lord dispersed them on the face of the earth. So Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 through 9, revisits this information. Moses says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance when He divided mankind. So I have that part in yellow. That's highlighted in yellow, just like this. the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth in Genesis 11, 8. So just stringing these thoughts together, okay? That dispersing was when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance. He went ahead and gave them their inheritance. He dispossessed them. He took His own inheritance, right? He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is His people, Jacob, His allotted heritage. And so we've gone over this information. God disinherited the nations in their rebellion in Babel. All these, this is like the culmination. Narratively, this rebellion is the worst in that sense. Where mankind decides to try to assault the heavenlies. God says, no. No, we're going to hit a reset button. And he, and he pulls Jacob out as his inheritance. Luke gives us some insight into this out of the mouth of Paul, preaching to the Gentiles in, in, in Athens. In Acts 17, Paul is preaching to them about the unknown God. They had an idol there to the unknown God. And it was providentially placed there. It's a great story. But that they're so afraid of missing out on a God, they had this unknown God there that in times past had saved them from a pestilence. So Paul references this unknown God. you got all these gods that are named. Let me tell you about the one whose name you do not know. And he preaches to them. He says, God, made, God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. This is, this is the lesson that, that flays our flesh. We want a physical sanctuary. We want some grove or place we can go to that says, God came there, I'll go there, and center our relationship on geography and not letting our heart and mind go to this place, this very, very intimate place that truly believes God lives in you. He abides in you. He chose to abide in you because you chose to put your faith in Him. And He took up habitation in you. And this phrase, all religious perspectives, all church building, all temple building, all holy sanctuary spaces that we make in rooms and geography, He doesn't dwell there truly. He dwells here. He dwells here. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands. There's another one. 
that just assaults the, our religiosity. The things I need to do for God. If I do these things, then God will do these things for me. God's not doing this for me because I haven't done the thing. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't read enough. I haven't witnessed enough. I haven't tithed enough. I had enough. He's not served by man's hands. He created the heavens and the earth. You cannot earn it. As though He needed anything since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. If you've ever prayed, I've lost everything, you haven't. Why? Because you're still using your breath <laughs> to say you lost everything. And where did that breath come from? God Almighty. Verse 26. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Is Paul reading the same Bible that we're reading? Yes. And why were they all over the earth? Because God dispersed them all over the earth because that's where He wanted them. He wanted them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they said, no, we'll be crafty and build and try to fill heaven. And God said, I don't think so. Except they heard, oh, you know, anyhow. that was a Babel joke. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God decides how long a nation and an empire will last and where it will live. And though my voting record's important and my involvement's important, ultimately, it's not the deciding factor. God is. But why? Why nations? Why different places to live? Why people in all this geography? Verse 27, that they should seek God. Not assault God. Not rebel against God. Not be God. But that they might seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him Yet He's actually not far from each of us. When God said to His divine counsel, let us go down and confuse their languages. Now I'll string some points together real quick here. <coughs> Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, Yea, though I speak in the tongue of men or of angels. angels. So where did this proliferation of languages come from? So when God dispossessed, disinherited the nations, He assigned them to the divine council, the sons of God. And the purpose was that these guardian spirits, if you will, would shepherd these different ethnic groups to worship Lord God Almighty is what they were supposed to do. But they didn't do that. Psalm 82, verse 1. God has taken His place in the divine council. You see that blue highlight? Come, let us go down. And, and Genesis 11, the blue highlight? It's the divine council scenes, divine council language. In the midst of the gods, He holds judgment. This ties into, He fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God in Deuteronomy 
32, verse 8. Verse 6 of Psalms, uh, Psalm 82. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Because as we read in, in, in all of Psalm 82, they had corrupted their way. They were not, they were not deploying correct judgment. They were fostering wickedness. God said, bad stewardship. That's not why I put you there. So, you'll pay the price for that. Verse 8 of Psalm 82. Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. See, God chose Jacob so he could have all the nations. All the nations. So, when we're talking about these nations, and we're talking about these, these kinds of spirits, this is some of the territorial spirit language in the Old Testament. Later down in Deuteronomy 32, verse 17, this is out of the New uh, Living Translation. They offered sacrifices to demons. Like we talked last time, demons is a wide-stretched term. So, just like in the Old Testament, the Elohim term is is used for people who are for, for entities that reside in the spirit realm, unbodied spirit beings are Elohim, where that's the departed, you know, departed spirits of of the dead or or what we call angelic beings. Okay, demon, as a Greek word, has the same stretch marks. It covers both what we call unclean spirits, demonic spirits, and it covers these kinds of spirits as well. Which is why it shows up in an English translation because of how it happens in the Septuagint. But this is out of the Hebrew. That demon's word is uh, Shedim. And Shedim are territorial spirits. They are evil spirits that occupy a particular place of terra firma. Landmass. Area. So... They offered sacrifices to demons, which are not God, to God's Elohim. So here in this verse, you see this Shedim and Elohim equated. Shedim are in that class of Elohim. Are you following me? Elohim are the same things that were called sons of the Most High, the sons of God to whom He gave the nations. So this just ties some of the language together. As we shared last week, it's weird that you see maybe three uses of demons in the Old Testament and you don't see a whole lot of unclean spirit activity evident and then you jump into the New Testament and you get, you get a proliferation of uh, demonization and unclean spirits and it's like, well, it's a whole other world. These things must have come out of a hole somewhere. No, they're always there. We just have a harder time seeing them in the Old Testament because of the language utilized. This you're more familiar with. Daniel 10... Verse 13, this is, you know, Gabriel talking to Daniel and why it took me 21 days to get to you. Remember that? And, and he says, the prince, this is the Tsar of the kingdom of Persia, withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. The kings of Persia. 
Well, obviously, Gabriel's not talking about a human being king standing in the way of him so effectively that the archangel Michael had to come in and whomp on the boy. No, we're, right? we're talking about the evil spirit kingdom and these, these Sa'ar princes who have kingdom dominion authority on planet earth. So Daniel's fasting and Daniel's prayer to receive an answer from God educates us about the reality of the spirit realm. The spirit realm doesn't have geography like we have geography. Much of our geography is based on gravity. There's an up and down. (laughs) But we have to use that language to communicate. That said, only God is omnipresent. Only God is everywhere at once. The devil's not everywhere at once. He's localized. These Elohim spirits are localized. They have, they have an endpoint of their being. And if they're going to do something, they've got to move from wherever it is they are to go do something else. If, they're gonna, if, if ministering angels are going to impart to you a revelation or a healing or energy, a refreshing, we see, that, you know, we see this in, in the Old Testament and in the New, where uh, you know, people are exhausted or they're just blown away by a revelation they can't handle, and then the angel touches them, and they're strengthened. That's an impartation of energy from an angelic being. That requires the angelic being to do some touching. Okay? Daniel and the lions then. It wasn't that the lions weren't trying to bite them, it was that somebody was holding their mouth shut. <laughs> you know? It's not action at a distance. It's not magic. God employs His creatures to, to do His will. It's like it's how He likes to operate. Yeah, I mean, He could just do this all day long. Make, he does, you know, He could do that. But He enjoys His family. He enjoys His family working with Him to accomplish His purposes. So, we have Michael as a chief prince in the same phrase as a prince in Persia and the kings in Persia. This tells you what class or level of spirit being we're talking about. We're not talking about a ghost of a slain giant. We're we're talking about a former member of the divine council. A principality. Right. Verse 20, then he said, Do you know why I've come to you? But now I return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So Greece was on ascendancy. Persia was was dominating that place of the world, but the prince of Persia was on ascendancy. And I'm telling you, in the spirit realm, if, if you look at the history of what happened in Macedon, Philip, the king of Macedonia, Alexander's dad, built an army that nobody in the ancient world could come against. He came up with the, he came up with the phalanx. He had a method of warfare that was just astronomical. But there were all kinds of machinations going on in the background, and Alexander's mom had a little bit of hand on what was going on with Philip of Macedon. And, and what Alexander conquered the world with was his daddy's army. Okay? That's how Greece wound up in the, in, in the Middle East. 
That's how you wound up having a Greek New Testament. But in the background were these territorial spirits, these principalities that were pushing for that gain, pushing for that role. Luke chapter 4, verse 5. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give this authority in their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. All you got to do is say, I'm king. <laughs> and Jesus says, it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. This shows us that at some point in time, Beelzebub, known as Azazel, identified as Satan, the devil, came in command of all of these rebellious spirits. He is the prince of rebels. And he was running herd over all the kingdoms of the world through those principalities. But here's the irony. He's looking at Jesus of Nazareth. He knows it's the Son of God, but he's in mortal flesh. <laughs> like, this is... I've done this before. This can't be that difficult. You hungry? Worked for me last time. Yeah. <laughs> right? I have an apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Here's the irony. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. This firstborn language isn't that He was birthed like He's a created thing, but that He has preeminence in all of creation. Like Isaac was called Abraham's firstborn. Was Abraham, was Isaac Abraham's firstborn? No, Ishmael was. It's a matter of prominence. That's the language. Firstborn of all creation. For by Him, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, by Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Does that tell you the level of arrogance the devil has? To look at his own Creator in human flesh and say, bow down to me and I'll give you all these kingdoms that, oh, by the way, you create. The height of hubris. The height of hubris, absolutely. Buy back what I've rightly stolen from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> and so the answer is, worship God and Him only do you serve. So you're familiar with uh, Paul's territorial spirit vocabulary. This is the Pauline territorial vocabulary, and I, I pulled this at, out of uh, Michael Heiser's Demons, what the Bible really says about the powers of darkness. It's a great book. But you have rulers, which in the Greek is architon or archon, principalities, which is arche, powers or authorities, that's exousia. There is dynamis powers, dominions and lords, kyrios and kyriotes, and thrones, which is the Greek word thronos. And then world rulers, cosmokrator. These are all inhabitants 
of the spirit world in the kingdom of darkness. Our fight is never with an imager of God. Imagers of God may become casualties of war, but our fight is never with a fellow imager. It's over the fellow imager. The battle is over the imagers. Is over mankind. It's over whether that which God created to image Him on earth becomes transformed to God's original intent or becomes slated to destruction because of their own rebellion. And we get confused in what we call spiritual warfare when we focus on fighting flesh and blood. Politicians we don't like, neighbors we have troubles with, whatever the case may be, we lose focus. It's not about flesh and blood in terms of who we're fighting. It's about this. That's what we're fighting. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature do we impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They wouldn't have done it. Jesus pushed the fight and pushed the fight. He made it, I, I mean, like He had to kill the guy. <laughs> And he made it so bad that he had to come down out of the air to marshal his troops. Like, I kill people. He raises them from the dead. I make them sick. He heals them. I make them crazy. He gives them sanity. I make them hungry. He gives them food. i got to kill this guy. Get rid of him. He has to get rid of him. he got to go. He's messing up my kingdom. i got a nice simple thing going on. And everyone thinks they're okay. And I got a nice Roman thing going on. And they think they're okay. I've got them fighting each other, which gives me pleasure. And this guy is ruining everything. I got a kick. What? Keys? What keys? Oh, those keys. Ow! Oh! <laughs> I don't have any keys left. He would have never, ever have crucified him had he had an inkling. Now, think about this. I know his wisdom got corrupted. And I am not in any way endeavoring to glorify the devil. But let's just take a simple assessment of an intelligence, a malevolent intelligence, that's been around at least as long as the human race, who has had opportunity to read every revelation that God has imparted and yet, when the punch came, it was a sucker punch. When the blow came, he didn't see it coming. And yet, somehow, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, New Covenant saints can look at that same revelation and point out all the things that God said He would do and did 
in Christ Jesus. And this tells you something about the nature and character of God. That frequently, He tells us the future in a way He can confirm once the future is the past, but not before. But we think we're bright enough to know beforehand. So, if nothing else, it's good instruction for our humbleness to His timing and to His revelation. As a for instance, <laughs> revelations this malevolent intelligence might have had a chance to look at. The second psalm, verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations. I will give the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Knowing what you know, you think this, this breaking like a potter's vessel is ultimately about people? No. I wouldn't think so. But that's something. Hey, if you'll just bow down to me, I'll give you the nations. No, 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 no. no. Ask of me. I'll give you the nations. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in it. In the cross, He took away every weapon they had. Primarily your own sin. But they are disarmed. They are disarmed. But, but hold on, Nick. I see a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. There's a lot of dark places on the planet. There's a lot of wickedness and evil. I, what do you mean disarmed? And there's the tensor of the kingdom of God. The already but not yet. Because, you know, we're resurrected with Christ. But do you have a body like His yet? No. But they are disarmed. That's the reality we're living in. That regardless of the confrontation, we know who is sovereign. We know who's in charge. We know who rules the nations. So there is no legitimate obstacle to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with anybody, anywhere, anytime. You are authorized. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. These captives... And I mean, I've even shared this verse this way. These captives were the souls still trapped in Sheol. But not really. I mean, interpretatively, this is out of Psalm 68. This is conquest language. And the captives are those whom he beat. Those he led captive are these principalities and powers that were making a muck of the nations. And the gifts he gave to us were apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers. You get them all? Pastors. There was one in there I'm not familiar with. Um, 
And, <laughs> but those gifts are, are, are for the building up of the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can come into the fullness of Christ to do the work of ministry, doing what? Speaking the truth in love. May grow up into Him who is the head of all things. Amen? Amen. Romans 8. So he, he really upended the battlefield. I mean, I mean it, completely. Completely. Changed the whole game. Changed it. And changed it in a way that is not the way, you know, it's not the Rambo way we would envision it. Right? Nicholas, say again what you said or something similar. In verse 8, he led a host of captives. Who are the captives? The captives are these, are these principalities. About the evil spirit kingdom. They're the ones that, that are led captive. They're the ones. He's going back to an Old Testament reference. Yes. Yeah. He, he overcame the world. Uh, Psalm 68. Thank you. He may have released those who were captive, but the ones he takes... The ones he takes captive are, are the, you know, are the prisoners of war. And the prisoners of war in this are the evil spirits. Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You belong to the one who defeated it all. You belong to the one who died so you may live. You belong to the one who poured out His Holy Spirit so you could be holy. You belong to the One who is King of kings and Lord of lords so you could bow down only to God. Who's going to separate us from His love? Nothing. What love? He emptied Himself. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can afford to give anything today. I don't know. He emptied Himself of Godhead and inhabited the womb of a woman and came out helpless and then lived sinlessly and said, Here, Father, is my sacrifice for all the sins of the world. In other words, we have an expression in sports, right? Leave it all in the field. Yeah. He left it all. He emptied Himself. He left it all. I mean, you know, what fleece do you need now to prove He loves you? I don't know. I mean, if it's sunny tomorrow and I can have the picnic, then maybe God loves me. If things go wrong, it's not God. It's, it's, it's the evil one that's yeah. got crept in one way or another. We need, we need to hold on to the central truth of our faith. That the one who overcame the world did so because He loved us and died for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? From the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Think of this another way. If you're experiencing persecution, or you're experiencing tribulation, or you're experiencing hunger, or you're experiencing lack in life, is that evidence that God doesn't love you? No! It's evidence that you're still living on this planet. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. Sheep, sheep, sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. What does that mean? We're more than conquerors. We're not going to suffer tribulation. We're more than conquerors. We're not going to have famine. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm never going to be naked. No! It's got nothing to do with any of that. 
It means that regardless of what trials you'll go through, because remember, the deal is, my life for yours, and now your life is mine. And all I want is all of it. Fair, right? I mean, after all, he gave all of his life. And if you put the two lives in a scale, God Almighty in one side and your little spirit in the other, well, I think he made the bigger offer. And, and when, we, when, we, when we give our life to him, we have eternal life. We have eternal life. Amen. You know, it might not be so good here sometimes, but we're gonna we're not gonna rot in hell for eternity. We're gonna be in heaven. We're gonna be in heaven. Amen. Look, when tribulation comes, we are more we are more than conquerors through the love of Christ. When famine comes, we are more than conquerors through the love. Of, I know how to be abased and how to abound. How to have much and how to suffer need in all things. Right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor... Now check all these... Check all these... Uh, Spirit language here. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else at all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You cannot take my people from me. I created them. I died for them. I bought them. I sealed them. They're mine. Your accusations are no longer valid. You have no place in this hall. And by the way, I got a little bathtub full of fire for you. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that he's victorious? That he's triumphed? That nothing can separate us from God's love. Amen? Matthew 28, verse 18. It's after the resurrection, Jesus came to them. This is the Great Commission, but the Great Commission is predicated on this first phrase. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. God is a legalist. God operates justly. And He justly saved us. He redeemed mankind from his own folly. And he set up the circumstance for the ultimate punishment of the agents of chaos and the evil spirit realm. And all authority in heaven and earth was given to Jesus Christ, just as we read at the start in Philippians chapter 2. So based on that, he says, go. Therefore, Make disciples of all nations. Remember what he told them before? Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But don't go to the Gentiles. You are authorized to minister to my called out seed, Jacob. And Jacob was like, we're the chosen seed. 
We understand you worship other gods and God intended you to. They understood that. That was, you read Philo uh, in, in this intertestamental inter period, um, Jewish philosophers, Jewish writers, they understood this. They, of course they worship these gods. God gave them those gods to worship. But we worship the true God. And he's ours, and you guys get the muddle about that. And God says, well, uh, not quite. Because I've dispossessed them, and now all those nations are mine. You are authorized to go into these territories controlled by these evil spirit principalities and bring to me all nations. And a preamble of this was shown to us on the day of Pentecost when He poured out the Holy Spirit and the apostles spake in other tongues. And all there were people in Judea from all the nations of the earth. And then it, it begins to list Luke begins to list this geography. It's not haphazard. It goes from the east to the west of the known world. The same names, if you will, of the table of nations in Genesis 10 that had been scattered throughout all the earth were gathered there on the day when God's glory came back to Zion and He inhabited a human temple and began to bring people back to Himself in salvation. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I know this is a sacrament and ceremony in the church of Jesus Christ, and it's an important one, but it, it, it's, its signification is one of a commitment to discipleship. Baptism isn't just a, 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 an arcane thing, you know, a take it or leave it kind of a thing. It's just it's one of those things that we do as disciples of Christ to signal that, yes, we're coming out of our Egypt, we're going through our Red Sea to be with the Lord. Right? Being resurrected from the dead. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's always going to be with us. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. So let's not get distracted. He likes to get us distracted. We think that the fight's with Christians who believe differently than we do or uh, cul-de-sac religious groups that we need to point their error out for, or uh, social movements and the heads thereof, or uh, godless nations and the people thereof, or godless religions and the imams thereof. Yeah, I said imam. Flesh and blood imagers are not the enemy, they're the booty. They are the prizes of war. They are the treasure. They are the things that we're trying to gain. The enemy is the enemy. These powers of darkness. That's where we wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, start a blog. 
and a YouTube channel. <laughs> Maybe, but no. No, no, no. The way you stand is you put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Rest assured, we live like they did in an evil day. In an evil day. And I know in our... <clears throat> yeah, look around. And I know in, in our experience, at least in my experience, things are more wicked and evil today than I ever imagined they would have been when I was a young person. Amen to that. Uh, but I also know history. And my, my read on history tells me that as bad as it is today, it's not as bad as it's ever been. But it has the potential because of technology, because of what humankind can do on mass scale, mass murder in concentration camps, death, death factories prove that. But the answer is the same, whether you live in the first century, whether you live in, in the 20th century, whether you live in now in the 21st century, the answer is to put on the whole armor of God, to stand and stand firm. Fasten the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. See, I can't produce that breastplate. It's not my own. It's His. His righteousness guards me. And as shoes for your feet, your true mobility in this world, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We have an answer for the problems that are there. The gospel of peace has a time when it ends. <laughs> and God brings a culmination to order and puts down all chaos. Revelation 19 verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Amen. 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 Amen.